0: Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That we're excited to be here today. We've got an awesome interview that we're planning to do. And so I'm really excited to introduce you to Jamie. But before we do that, I want to just take a minute and mention our trainings. Um, you guys have probably heard us bring it up recently. We ha- now have a training scheduled here in Springfield, Missouri, and it will be March 23rd through the 27th. So if any of you are interested in attending that training, want to come check it out and, um, I guess most of you might already be trained, but if you have a colleague or someone that may want to do a basic training, Mm -hmm. or if you want it as a refresher, you can go and do a refresher with us. Yeah, absolutely. You can do a refresher course. Um, Just reach out to us with any questions at training at at beyondhealingcenter.com, and we'll get back with you on that. If anyone is interested in hosting their own training for a group or an agency that you're a part of. Um, or you want to attend another training somewhere else, let us know. We're really excited to be putting these on our calendar and we're happy to travel to you if you have a group that's large enough. So again, it's training at beyondhealingcenter.com. All right, now to the exciting part. Mm -hmm. We have a great guest here, Jamie. She is our yoga therapist for the retreats that we do. So in our last episode, we talked quite a bit about the retreats and promised that we would introduce you to her. So she's here today. She's a yoga therapist, um, and she also owns her own yoga studio.
0: Mm -hmm. So um, I met Jamie because I attended one of your retreats. Um, an interwoven retreat, and I'm going to let you talk all about interwoven because it's a beautiful thing and everyone should know about it. Um, But basically, it was my first experience of the difference between yoga, because I've been doing yoga since I was 16, um, and yoga therapy. And the difference was very notable. And I remember spending a lot of time thinking about how beneficial this could be for clients. And we struck up a conversation about that. And the rest is history. And the future, because we're still figuring it all out together. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jamie, if you could just talk to us about your story, how you came to yoga therapy, um, and also what the difference is between yoga that a lot of people are going to be familiar with and yoga therapy. Sure. Hi. Glad to be here. So, I came into yoga therapy
2: really um, on a pathway of my own healing. I was a professional athlete and a strength and conditioning coach, and so, always really involved in training and embodiment. But after my career, um, I noticed, you know, internal things that needed reconciling and healing. And so that's what really got me into yoga. I started whenever I was playing professionally in Luxembourg as a way to train myself uh, in the off season. And then I got my first training when I was a graduate assistant in strength and conditioning as a way to train the athletes in the off-season to give them some downtime because in my training, we didn't really experience that. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested in how to train athletes wisely for peak performance and so yoga was a big part of that. Um, And after that, I sort of I guess woke up to my life and uh, kind of the direction that I wanted to go and started traveling and studying more and getting more and more into yoga and found myself living at the Himalayan Institute. Um, I kind of went there for a one-month program to learn and practice these things um, that I had been learning in a systematic way, in a regular way, um, consistent way, which is very hard to do if you've ever tried it. So this environment that the whole organization and the whole community is set up around implementing these practices and supporting each other in implementing these practices was hugely uh, impactful on me. And I ended up sort of at first month by month and then year by year (laughs) living there for three years. Um, And I was a part of Yoga International, um, the kind of launch of that from a magazine to a a digital subscription site. Uh, So I had a very unique opportunity to both study very closely with my teacher, Pandit Rajmani Teganayat, but also have teachers you know the top teachers from all over the country coming to record e-courses and I was a producer of those e-courses so I was just sort of learning all the time and you know not only with interacting with the teacher but then after the fact editing the program Mm -hmm. so it was just countless hours of yoga information and so after that um you know, I had more than enough training hours and also an experience of really putting these things into place in an environment that supported that. But I really felt um, that I needed to kind of experience what it would be like to try to put this into play in everyday life because it is not easy. (laughs) And so really the last, I think four years, I moved back to Springfield from there four years ago, has been about that, you know, how to find ways to integrate these techniques and practices into everyday life, and how to make them relevant for the way that we live now. Um, And I really kind of do that through my studio space called Movement Collective, um, which is really kind of a a yoga therapy clinic, as well as offering other movement classes of all styles, because it's not so much often about... Uh, In certain cases, how you're moving, you know, what particular style of yoga or posture practice you're doing, but that you're moving Mm -hmm. and that you're learning these embodiment practices. And all of my students start out with sort of a foundation of what it's like to be in the pose in a good way. So oftentimes you'll go to a yoga class and just kind of be thrown into the fire, we'll say, you know, down dog, warrior, you know, and just sort of some generalized instruction. So I've really focused on how to teach to beginners in a way that helps them learn what it feels like in a really supported uh, way to work into more advanced poses and carry the kind of key actions that are required um, to really
0: embody a pose. I can really attest to that. I think that, you know, I didn't know what I was experiencing that felt different. But at the retreat, what I noticed was these things that I had been doing for years. I was familiar with them. I know all the, you know, the poses and all of that. Um, But the instruction and the alignment and the support that you're offering to make sure that you really understand what the pose is supposed to be doing, what you could be feeling in your body. How to adjust? How to work with your body as it is today? Felt very different, um, and I I remember thinking after the fact I feel like I did less and got more. Um, yes, definitely and
2: a quality over quantity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're talking about really um, embodying yoga, mm-hmm. it's not something that you can do. Quickly, Mm -hmm. it's really about slowing down um, and feeling what you're doing in a really sensitive and sensitive way, and inquiring into you know how your body is taking action Mm -hmm. in an honest way. So that kind of being really central to what differentiates differentiates yoga from exercise or yoga from you know gymnastics. Really, uh, is that you're. Doing so, doing whatever you're doing in a really sensitive way, mm-hmm. feeling what's happening, happening, and then being honest about where you are and mm-hmm. what's going on.
1: Mm-hmm. I consider myself by far a beginner when it comes to yoga. And so, hearing you say all of this is just opening my mind to, you know, in the classes, you hear the instructor say, like, just be focusing on your breathing. And that's where, like, you always come back to that and then I'm like thinking I can barely keep up with what you're telling me to do. Yeah. Next. I I don't know how to think about breathing and moving from this to this to this and
2: yeah um, a really slow approach is is you know a good way to go yeah. as far as working with because so much of what yoga therapy is about is first working with the nervous system mm-hmm. and getting the ability to to regulate and feel what it's like to be in parasympathetic function mm-hmm. Um, and learning how to breathe in a way that can kind of create those shifts internally. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to slow down and really pay close attention to your breath. And so usually the first 10 minutes of my class would just be directed attention and breathing because until you've calmed your system in that way, there's no taking action in the body in a new way. Mm -hmm. And the Same way with the mind, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what you guys experience with EMDR. Mm -hmm. There's no chance for newness unless that nervous system has seen that shift Mm -hmm. and moved towards homeostasis.
1: So, you know, you bringing that piece in and we're looking at EMDR therapy or therapy in general, this idea that helping our clients get connected with doing yoga isn't just about this practice where they go to get exercise or work out or get out of the house, but it's really teaching. Like what you're describing is teaching a system of slowing down, which is a state when you're activated in your trauma, it's not slow, like your body's Mm -hmm. tight and your mind is racing and your emotions. Mm -hmm. um, So really teaching that slowing down, that pacing, it just aligns so perfectly with what we talk about in EMGR training and in that process of pacing a client and helping them learn how to calm and relax and regulate. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
0: And that's one of the pieces that I think you know, points to why yoga therapy ends up being such a perfect partner with EMDR. Um, for those of you guys that were at the Andrea conference two years ago, you may or may not remember the professor from Harvard that came and talked about the neuroscience of why they think EMDR works. All I remember is, you know, maybe like 5% of what he said. And I mostly remember <laughs> feeling like I was trying to drink from a fire hose, I was trying to write down everything he said and mm-hmm. memorize it all at the same time, but mostly feeling completely blown away. By the insight that they were gaining into what it is that we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And anybody that does EMDR kind of constantly has that question like, why does this work? Like, right. what, what exactly is happening here? But one of the theories that they are still researching, but seems the most likely and the most promising in terms of an explanation, is that the bilateral stimulation that we're doing, its main function is actually keeping the limbic system calm the entire time. And I think what Jamie is talking about with the parasympathetic function and moving our clients into that function is essential in order for the trauma to actually move. Until that happens, like you said, no change can actually occur. And so whatever way we get our clients there, having our eye on what is their limbic system doing Um, Are they in sympathetic or parasympathetic function right now? If we have a whole session and they never get into parasympathetic, the chances of them actually integrating whatever we worked on are very low. And yoga therapy comes along and provides them a skill set to, number one, have any awareness of it at all because most of our people come in with none or very little. And then giving them something to do about it that is doable, that doesn't feel overwhelming to them, that feels uh, simple and yeah, inviting. Within their
2: window mm-hmm. of tolerance, mm-hmm. what's available. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, learning to relax the body and physically soften. And, and I'm sure in your clients, you see the tightening of the mm-hmm. body around whatever they're working with, in particular, this unwillingness or inability to mm-hmm. let it go. Well, that's not going to happen in the brain. That's going to happen in the body. Mm-hmm. So in yoga therapy, we're teaching how to soften your body, how to allow what you're experiencing to be, and therefore to be able to be processed. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. I, if we pull it back to... Standard protocol, EMDR, the structure. I just see this. This is resourcing. Oh my this gosh, is preparation. Yes. Yeah. This is all of the things that we're trying to do when we're teaching Calm Place, when we're teaching these other resources and tools. that is comes first before reprocessing because it's critical for their brains to be in that place, their bodies to be in that place, to be able to reprocess mm-hmm. the trauma yeah, experience. Yeah,
2: making their body a safe place. I have so many clients yeah. that after, you know, really one or two sessions um, kind of able to teach the activation and alignment that you could have in a, a standing posture and grounding the feet and being with breath and attention and senses being focused in the present moment and people experience feeling safe in their body for the first time since their trauma mm-hmm. happened or you know maybe ever mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's that alone you know allows for this you know rebuilding of a relationship that they've sort of disassociated from. Mm-hmm.
0: And I just want to take a moment and plug this from a therapist perspective. <clears throat> okay. So <laughs> so I don't know about you guys, but occasionally as therapists, we have our own trauma and <laughs> <Sometimes>. our <laughs> own,
1: our Gosh, own uh,
0: habit of disconnecting from our body. Um, because we do tend to have trauma in our history, we are master dissociators, and I highly recommend that you keep it. It's good for our job, except <laughs> when we're doing it all day long, every day, especially when we ourselves are trauma therapists, it is very, very easy to get into a chronic pattern of disconnection. And if you imagine what that feels like to our client, if we come into a session and we don't know how to be inhabiting our body, if we don't know how to be in parasympathetic response in our own selves, it is very hard to teach anybody how to do that, um, to resource them how to do that. And so from my perspective, this is one of the things that I do that I believe helps me do good therapy. Um, one of the responses that we've gotten from almost every client that we've had that's, that's worked with Jamie is that when they are with her, It is also beneficial to just sit with somebody that is that grounded and in their body and the sensation that it creates is safety. And our goal and what we're doing with our clients is to give them a safe space to do their work. And so this is also our work to figure out how to be in our own nervous system in a way that isn't accidentally activating our clients as well. And so that we can hold still in a calm space while they are getting overwhelmed without joining them in that and getting sucked into that. That is our part of the work. Um, And this is a really effective tool for us to use as well.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Agreed wholeheartedly. Really, I... I don't think that you can be in healing without working on your own healing and and embodiment and feeling your feelings and recognizing and having this relationship with your body where you notice what posture you're embodying as you're with your client and what information you're giving them by how you're holding yourself and how you're embodied you know, there's. I'm sure there's certain. You know, therapists nods and you know, all the things that you sort
0: of. <laughs> <laughs> she
1: <laughs> looks at me as I have my <laughs> finger on <laughs> my chin and nodding.
0: All my little subconscious. Hmm, hey. Interesting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And so all of that becomes habit and you know, it's good and it, it hopefully conveys the message that you're going for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also that can happen on the other end that maybe you have a habit of conveying a message with your mm-hmm. with your face or your gestures mm-hmm. that uh, or you're your not.
0: I'm
2: never guilty of that. <laughs> no, no. Or and you know, the even we talked a little bit about what it's like to sit for that long yeah. as a therapist. Oh my gosh. So yeah. having knowledge of how to hold yourself mm-hmm. in a way that's honors and supports your body will help mm-hmm. you, you know, Do show that model that for your clients. If you're there like denying that you're in excruciating pain, mm-hmm. I mean, they might not say anything, but it, it's probably obvious, mm-hmm. you know? I and so learning to take care of your own needs in your body is, is important mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. So
0: definitely for therapists. Yes. <laughs> so another thing that you talk about sometimes that I definitely want to talk about today is developmental movement, because mm-hmm. I really think that, um, you know, as much as we know as therapists about attachment, attachment, trauma, developmental trauma, that we forget sometimes how much the body is a component of that and how movement in the body is also a a tool and an answer to work on that. So can you talk about your perspective on developmental movement, developmental trauma, and how you work with that? Yeah. So in,
2: in my assessment, I use, um, sort of this developmental series and these functional movement screens to see where movement pattern dysfunction arises or where instability arises in their ability to be in their body. And I have a a really catchy thing I say sometimes. If you don't feel safe on earth, you won't feel safe on earth. So if you don't feel stable and steady in your body, mentally and emotionally, you're not going to feel stable and steady. Mm -hmm. So to address the place where instability arises in movement can help stabilize the mental, emotional bodies as well. <clears throat> so, by training in that focused way, where say uh, traumas happened to the body, uh, and or say it happened at two, or say you were really in a hurry to like roll over, skip crawling, get right to you know walking, running, mm-hmm. getting a job, you know, kind <laughs> of that standard in that order. In that order yeah. <laughs> That would be my daughter, walking, <laughs> running, getting a job, yeah, and so you've missed this whole developmental phase of core strength, and mm-hmm. so I see it often, and you know have clients wondering why we're crawling on the floor, but <laughs> this is hugely important for developing the core strength that's going to stabilize you in any posture that is more advanced than that without compensation patterns, and so what what we know from yoga and from developmental movement is how you do one thing is how you do everything so if every time you're trying to move your head your glutes tighten Mm -hmm. up or every time you're you know moving and reaching to try to move through the thoracic and the shoulder area that's locked up and everything else has to compensate to Mm -hmm. try to make that movement happen and that's causing that movement pattern to be deeper and deeper reinforced so Mm -hmm. what we do with developmental movement is take that all back to the very beginning and start with basic head movements and making sure that that's happening in a good way that everything that's moving that's supposed to make that movement happen is making that movement happen and everything that's not supposed to be making that movement happen is not making that movement happen so it takes very slow movement um, and very detailed repetitions to kind of retrain this um, pattern between the brain and the body that is saying, okay, to do this movement, we do it in this way. So yeah. it's neuromuscular refacilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this uh, taking you back to the original programming of the movement and visiting each developmental step, making sure that it's functioning uh in a good way and then advancing from there.
1: Mm-hmm. Think about those who face like childhood neglect or i mean i'm sure just in it not even as severe of cases but
2: yeah
1: um that specifically where there just is so many of those milestones that are missed or rushed through they're forced to bypass Mm -hmm. um those more intricate developmental pieces because they have to grow up so much faster
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and it can happen from physical injury later in life you know you learn to kind of you know, have a a little hitch in your get up and then the injury gets healed and you still maintain that movement pattern as though you were still injured. Mm -hmm. So unless you revisit it and say, no, not that way, like this, and do so with the nervous system in a calm place, then that pattern is going to keep continuing and Mm -hmm. and the grooves are going to be deepened. And in yoga therapy, we're seeing the system as a whole so the body is not separate from the mind and the emotions and you know the inner life and the relationship with the body so that's all one thing and if we can address that thing as a whole Mm -hmm. then it might start to feel whole (laughs) which is sort of what we're after Mm
1: -hmm. we're talking about the body you know when you mentioned earlier about having to feel safe in your body or feel you know stable and on earth like those pieces when we're resourcing our clients and trying to get them to experience calm place um so many as a consultant so many of the things that my consultees will say is like i cannot ever get into processing because we can't do calm place Mm -hmm. we can't do calm state we can't do anything and so how do i open up to that and just, it's connecting for me now, as you say that, like, if, if you don't feel safe in your own body, you can't feel safe picturing your body being somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're not going to be able to achieve a calm state anywhere if your body is the unsafe place to be.
0: Or yeah. even having a template of what calm can feel like. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, they can imagine what it might feel like, but the the power of the calm state is that it is actually currently happening in their body. Like Mm -hmm. it is not them imagining Mm -hmm. them being calm. It is that it is a, um, an entry point to their body actually being able to experience it. And I run into that with a lot of people. They don't have any kind of template for calm. Mm -hmm. They don't have any kind of template for what it would feel like if their muscles were actually relaxed instead of the pretend version of relax that they thought was enough. Um, and I think that, as a therapist, like we're pretty limited in what we can do with the body. I'm finding all kinds of ways to work around this, And you guys have heard <laughs> me talk about this because I'm bound and determined uh, that this has to be a part of yeah, things. I can't and, ignore it. No, no, it's a huge part. And I think, you know, having, having partnerships with people that are allowed to assess the body, that know what they're looking at and know how to give guidance in that way. And even in some cases be allowed to touch and, you know, tell them how to move in that way. Um, to me I just think it's invaluable for our clients because it creates that template so that when they come into session with us and we say imagine feeling calm they finally have a reference point for that they have mm. a a true felt lived experience that they can think about and connect with yeah and that
2: doesn't come without the ability to like physically soften the mm. body mm. and when you start to learn more about posture and what, what people's embodiment is telling you then as a therapist you would have you know just so more much information. information yeah and you know have you ever been worked up and had somebody tell you to relax it's like the last <laughs> thing on earth you <laughs> want to hear works. it's like so agitating <laughs> and so unless you have that frame of reference and a and a place to go back to for what calm is being told to calm down is has almost the opposite effect mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And for therapists and kind of having more motivation to practice this so many times when you know, I can see that my client's body is unable to relax by simply taking a few deep breaths myself and modeling that it's amazing what can be learned. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, from creating that space within your body of what it's like to soften your exhale and have that be passive and see, see what happens, they'll start to learn and uh, just from being with you.
1: Mm-hmm. So what can our listeners as therapists, you know, what direction do you have for them with their clients? Is there anything specific or how do we ha- help them help their clients in this realm?
2: Yeah. We we had mentioned the question earlier, the difference between yoga therapy and, you know, a
1: Normal. traditional
2: yoga class or a yoga therapist and a yoga instructor. I think that making those distinctions is really important, that a yoga therapist has significantly more training, more tools to apply, and more tools of how to work with someone one-on-one and how to create that safe environment. But there are sort of more traditional yoga styles or easy access points like restorative yoga uh, or yoga nidras where you know those practices themselves and regular practices of them will kind of naturally lead towards this ability mm-hmm. to relax and soften the
0: body because you just That's wait what you're for doing. it, wait for it. Maybe it'll happen. So um, if somebody doesn't have a yoga therapist in their area yeah, and they wanted to recommend mm-hmm. yoga as a tool for their clients, looking for Say specifically restorative, because okay. someone could end up
2: in a, you know, a vinyasa
0: flow hot yoga class
2: that mm-hmm. is going to be moving, you know, in theory, with breath and that being a, another vital point is that breath centric postures so the movement and the breath being deeply connected as though they're they're one thing helps reassociate sort of the the breath is the bridge between the mind and the body so connecting the movements deeply to breath is a huge part of restoring natural rhythm and that's a lot of what we're doing in general at first with the nervous system work is restoring the rhythm that it's not that sympathetic function is bad it's just for its time and that we need both you know we need the day and the night Mm -hmm. it can't all be activation and we sort of live in a culture that's like no just all on all the the time (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. so to shift your orientation that this rest and this uh, restoring of my body is productive. Mm -hmm. It's the most productive thing that you could do because all of the rest of it is a compensation pattern unless you're able to relax. Mm
1: -hmm. It's an interesting way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot.
0: So if somebody did want to see if there was a yoga therapist in their area, where would they look? Yes. Um, There is a search function
2: on the International Association of Yoga Therapists website, Mm iayt.org. And then there's also great client resources on uh, yogatherapy.health. So that can show the research that's been done about why these practices are effective for insomnia, Mm -hmm. chronic pain, PTSD. Anxiety, PTSD. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, all those studies have been done. And really, we're just at this point where now it's how do we implement this? How do we, you know, make this available to the most people? Um, and so, you can search your area for a, yoga, a certified yoga therapist, and okay. that'd be what I would recommend.
0: Mm-hmm. And if somebody wanted to work with you, yes. how would they find you?
2: jamiesweer.com would be a, a good place to start. You can get to, um, Movement collective and to uh, my other business where I integrate all these techniques into the workplace environment
0: called stressed out humans. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to run a big practice or a clinic or something like that and want Jamie to come and you know assess how your therapists are sitting and moving and embodying, she could do that for you. Yes, and simple yeah. simple things to do
2: to remember yourself in between mm. clients, mm. I think, is a really important a, a way of you know, clearing and coming back to yourself and then moving into the next one because you can go hours, days, weeks, months and forget you have a self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, and that's what you're trying to teach, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to teach your clients to recognize their own needs. And so first learning how to do that yourself is really important. Mm-hmm. So yes, I would love to come.
0: Mm-hmm. And you also do retreats. You you do retreats with us, but then you have your own as well.
2: Yeah. So um, I do yoga therapy intensives. Uh, so that would be coming for a short period of time. And say you had sciatica, for example. It's something that a lot of people come to yoga for you know, we could do a three day to five day intensive to focus on all the things that you could do to help that. And within the scope of yoga therapy is what I call lifestyle design. So that's the application of, uh, kind of what's known as yoga sister science, Ayurveda, um, which is essentially the folk medicine of India that's been systematized and it's very helpful in assessment and kind of connecting to the rhythms of nature and internalizing those and putting those into practice in your life so that you're going with the flow of life or the way of it instead mm-hmm. of fighting against it. So lifestyle design is a huge part of what I do as far as the scope of practice. So re- simple recommendations of of what you could do to restore your circadian rhythm, which is important mm-hmm. for the nervous system. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Say your website again. Spell your last yes. name if you have not mind. Jamie
2: J-A-Y-M-E-S-W-E-E-R-E dot mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Good. And if you want to see Jamie at one of our retreats, she's a big part of those. Um, we've talked about our retreats and she comes and does one hour session every day that you're there. Yeah. And I'd like
2: to add an important part of kind of what I've started doing is audio recording home practices Mm -hmm. right on my client's phones. So that is always right there. And it's really something that's sort of happening in the yoga culture and in the mindfulness culture as well. It's this kind of similar fascination with newness, like a new practice every day, Mm. but that's not really what this is. It's about doing one thing the same every day, creating this anchor point in your body, and the more you practice the particular thing that you that we kind of decide as we work together, that is the weakest link in your chain, and stay focused on that. Then, in a short period of time, you can see a lot of change happen. It's sort of the kind of being on no particular path, uh, and. Not taking it fully in one direction that I see a lot of people do. They try this, they try this, it's yeah. gotta be this, it's gotta be that. Mm-hmm. So if you have a practice that you can really trust and know has been designed for you, then you can have a bit more confidence to do it every day. Mm-hmm. as I said, that's really where I spent experience the benefit of these practices is it's, you know, you you gotta do it. Mm-hmm. No one can do mm-hmm. it for you. You've got to take the practice and, yeah, know in your head, man. I can do yoga and I go once a week and, you know, so that counts, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it, much more effective would be 10, 15 minutes that were very relevant to where you are in your life Mm -hmm. and in your healing and with your goals. Um, 10 minutes of relevance is way more effective than, you know, even three to four times a week doing things the way that you always do Mm -hmm. them, except for in a yoga class. Mm -hmm.
1: That makes so much sense. Well, if you're interested in coming to one of our retreats and working with Jamie or attending one of her retreats, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. Send us an email, we're happy to answer questions. Um, or you can also check out our website at beyondhealingcenter.com. There's a beautiful picture of Jamie up there with a little bio all about her. So um, feel free to look at that and get more information on how to contact her. Mm-hmm. And thanks so much for listening, guys.
0: And thanks so much, Jamie, for being with us Thank you for having
1: me. Uh Thank you, everyone.
0: This was fun. Take care, you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.